Today on the Zabecast, never before has an entire country focused their rage in such a spectacularly misguided place. Australia, the joke's on you. Mr. X joins me to get some early heat on the playoff games, plus our picks, blocks, and upsets, and his take on the Charger Raider near tie and the wave of coach firings. All that plus the phrase, Jane, you ignorant slut, might just be making a comeback. Your 45-minute uncensored version of me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Thursday, January 13, 2022. Thank you for downloading. Let's get to it. Australia, the joke is on you. It's amazing watching what's going on with this Novak Djokovic saga and just how the media in Australia and many of the angry hordes of Aussie, 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 oi, the mates down there are treating it. As you know, uh, Novak Djokovic has applied for an exemption to having proof of vaccination to travel to Australia and play in the Aussie Open, which he won last year, oh, by the way, before they had vaccines. And um, the whole country's going nuts, including the media and including fans. Apparently, his car, or at least the car they thought he was in, got attacked by a bunch of fans who were then jumping on top of the car, rocking it back and forth, throwing shit at it because they're mad. He's like, he doesn't get to flaunt the rules. There was uh, television presenters in Australia caught on a hot mic during a break, calling him a lying asshole and just saying what a what a jerk he was and how much they hated him being in the country and hoping he would be kicked out of the country. Meanwhile, cases continue their near vertical linear climb in the island nation that thought for the better part of a year, we're so smart, we're smart, we're on an island, we're going to keep the virus off, we're COVID free, COVID free. Build all these concentration camps for COVID positive people. The hell is just beginning for Australia because Now they're going to have the virus rattling around and spreading for the next two years, and they won't be able to stop it or slow it down or curb it. But they're not going to give up their previous delusions of trying to. So life is going to suck for people in Australia even worse for the next two years. But anyway, back to Djokovic. So he may have lied about quarantining or not quarantining, after a positive COVID test in early December. He apparently had an interview with a reporter for L'Equipe Magazine, very prominent sports magazine uh, in France. And they're, they're now investigating his COVID test, his PCR test, because they're like, wait, we saw a positive, but we also saw a negative. We're investigating. He might not have been positive. We maybe should revive. One tennis player who is in perfect health that is going to play tennis for two weeks and the entire might of a country and its media and the authorities and the fans leaning on him to get out. If that is not mass formation psychosis, I don't know what is. It's funny because the people of Australia should be more mad at their government, at the fact that they are in this spot right now. 
and it's only going to get worse. As now the virus is there, it's spreading, and they will not be able to stop it. And the vaccinations will not be able to stop it. But hey, I guess just focus your anger on another person. It'll make you feel better, but it makes no sense, logically. And piling on, Howard Stern. He, when when, when we uh, you know, were reading these quotes from Stern about other unvaccinated athletes like Kyrie Irving and whatnot, we're like, wow, he's gone off the deep end. He's gone off the deep end and he swam even further out into the deep water of Cray Cray. When hearing about Novak Djokovic, Stern railed, that fuck nut Djokovic, what a fucking asshole. The first I've heard of this guy that he doesn't want to get his vaccine. They should throw him right the fuck out of tennis. That's it. Goodbye. Bobby Burak at OutKick, who I think writes very well, and obviously, I think in this case, gets it, says, Howard Stern is not well. That behavior is not sane by any account. Critics may say that Stern has contributed to this COVID hysteria, and he has, but he's not the cause of it. He's an effect of it. Supposed medical experts and dutiful newscasters have turned this once fearless rebel into a frightened rodent wobbling around his house. How does that happen? How can the same man who lived to stick it to the man become such a sniveling shill for the establishment and big pharma? To understand Stern's state of mind, you must imagine that he had believed everything Dr. Fauci and Joe Biden and the media and the medical experts have told us about COVID and the vaccine. Those like Stern have bought into the lies. They believe that a random Wuhan bat caused this virus and now threatens mankind. Oh, and that a simple, harmless vaccine is the solution to end it all. Just like Joe Biden promised in July, you're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Err. Or not. If you believe that, writes Barack, you've likely convinced yourself that a group of unvaccinated heathens are the ones killing everyone. That's what Stern has done, and that's the way he is. And that's why he is the way he is. Fauci, Biden, and others have brainwashed Stern into believing that the unvaccinated have derailed his high life. Ding, a ding, ding on that one. They've derailed his high life. And he is still quite bitter about that. No wonder he is such in, is in such a miserable state. Look what all of you unvaccinated bastards have done to him. And he's not alone. You probably know people convinced by Fauci, by despotic politicians and their lapdogs in the media that we will never be safe. Safe. Until everyone complies with their ever-shifting demands. Well written, Bobby Burak at Outkick.com. Question, genuine question, no judgment. Do you still, does anyone here still listen to Stern? Is he still funny outside of this bit of neuroses? Do you feel like, yeah, he doesn't seem like much of a rebel anymore. Maybe he was never really a rebel. Maybe he was always neurotic about his health. I, I want to believe that for a while he had what he thought was severe back issues And then went to seek counseling for it, and it turned out much of it, if not all of it, was in his head. I seem to recall that episode in his career, but I may be wrong. Either way, the fact that a guy worth $400 million or more in a gigantic Long Island mansion 
hold up for the better part of two years could summon that kind of genuine anger about one man hitting a fuzzy yellow ball all the way on the other side of the globe. Tell you what, that is some serious broken brain shit right there. Okay, uh, let's get to a little light, a little ditty I got for you here that I think you might like. It's a little something called Stat of the Day. Stat of the Day. All right, did you know that the Indianapolis Colts, who missed the playoffs, more on that with Mr. X here in just a second, played more minutes this year with a lead, 562, than the Packers, the Texans, or excuse me, the Titans, both number one seeds. Behold, your stat of Hootie! Uh, the Colts played with the lead for 562 minutes this year. The Packers only 521, and the Titans 490. It's not how many minutes you lead with. It's when the clock strikes zeros, do you have more points than the other team. That's how football is. That's why all of these long-term statistical plays where they say, well, if you go for it here, if you throw here or run here, you get an expected uh, point differential of this, or this is what the percentage is on going for it on two. These are long-run percentages. And NFL games are not long runs. They are episodic moments in time. They're episodes that have a beginning and an end, and the end is finite and final and counts as a win or a loss, and there's only 17 of those to click one way or the other. So, interesting stat right there. Some feedback via email, zabe at yahoo.com. Evening Steed writes Bart L. in Northeast Wisconsin. I had two problems. Given that I work from home these days, I don't spend hardly any time in the car anymore, and thus my time for Zabecasts is radically scaled back. But two, I can hardly stand the broadcast teams on NFL games this year, with a couple of exceptions. So I end up watching the games live, in complete silence. It's actually not bad. But then, serendipity. I turn off the TV broadcast sound and turn on my backlog of Zabecasts. Absolutely brilliant, my friend. Thank you for that. (laughs) Genius. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well done. It's a win-win. Thanks for the continuing content and good luck to you in 2022. Thank you, Bart. I appreciate that. EJ Pryor says, Zabe, I hope you make Al Michaels your FTG of the week. No, but he could be. Well, what did Al Michaels do now? First of all, let me play you an Al Michaels cut. This is uh, this is the biggest play of the game in the Raiders-Chargers game. It was the big fourth down strike across the middle to a streaking Mike Williams who seemingly was quadruple covered. Listen to how unenthusiastic and disjointed the call from Al Michaels was. Fourth down. Down to this. Herbert fires. It is Williams. Williams again all the way down to about the 27-yard line. Uh, I mean, that is a terrible call for such a big play, and it takes away absolutely takes away from the visceral enjoyment of the game 
as a viewer. But that's just me and Al Michaels. Why, why is E.J. Pryor mad about Al Michaels? Well, here we go. That was one of the most classless displays ever. Did you see, Zabe, Al Michaels, Madden's former booth partner, goes to sideline reporter Michelle Tafoya, who blathers something on about Derek Carr right in the middle of what appeared to be a very solemn, darkened stadium, which I gather was in tribute to John Madden. My wife noticed and called me in from the next room. It seemed like they were showing something on the Jumbotron. I wish they told us or showed us what it was, but no. Instead, Al Michaels talked right through the memorial ceremony of his deceased deceased partner. Rude doesn't begin to describe it. I'm not sure what does. Hope you call attention to this on your show. Thanks, Susan and E.J. Pryor. <clears throat> Did not see it. Uh, doesn't shock me. These network broadcasts, they've got their own schedule of hits. And by the way, Michelle Tafoya, that was one of her last hits. She's now out at NBC doing sidelines. They say it was her choice. Really? She went on The View and dared to express uh, some uh, lack of confidence in the vaccines. And so that might have led to NBC going, yeah, you know what? We're going to go a different direction here. I have a hard time believing she would voluntarily give up one of the few cushy sideline reporter jobs that pays big dollars for so little work, especially when she is in her 50s, well beyond the expiration date of most of these sideline lovelies that prowl the NFL landscape. But I digress. So they have their uh, they have their schedule of stuff. We got to go here, do two shot in the booth, set up the game, go down to uh, Michelle Tafoya. She's practicing. She practiced all week, you know, for her five hundred thousand dollar a year salary to riff off her sixty second thought about the game, which we're all sitting there going to watch anyway, whether or not she tells us whatever she tells us. And it just clashed with the stadium op schedule of oh, we're going to have a moment of silence for John Madden. Uh, they would never dump out of and go. Oh, you know what? Hold on, Michelle. We'll get to you in a second. Let's take a moment here to watch the presentation. They just don't do that. They plow through it. And there was a miscommunication there. This email from Bill King in Harrisburg, PA. Nice pick, Kawa. Zabe, I've been listening to you for 14 or 15 years, and I am a subscriber to the Premium Podcast. Thank you. Ding, ding, ding. I've always enjoyed you, probably because we see eye to eye on so many things. That having been said, nice lock of the week with the Ravens last week. Yes, I know. I Completely whiffed on that. The Steelers were not flat as a pancake. They had everything and then and then some for their hated rival. I love all your guests. P.S. More Solly. Especially Jay. P.S. Fuck Carol. But I could do without Mr. X. Well, you gotta get him next. Please remind him that the free preseason pick was the Steelers under eight and a half wins from Mr. X. And the reasoning he gave for that was the three extra games the Steelers would play that the other AFC North teams would not were the Bills, the Seahawks, and the Titans, and they were all just too tough. He said the Steelers were likely to lose all three of those games. Well, please remind Mr. X, they actually won all three of those games. Hey, the reasoning was sound, I think. It just didn't work out that way. Anyway, thanks for all the entertainment for so many years and keep up the good fight against Instant Replay. Sincerely, Bill King, Harrisburg, PA. Thank you, Bill. Appreciate that. Connor Monday from Cleveland, Ohio. Subject nailed it back in August. Dear Zabe, longtime listener, about 10 years, first-time emailer, was listening to your podcast with X. This email, by the way, is from August. He said, Zabe, read this email from August. And I looked at it. It was time-stamped. 
was listening to your podcast with X, and I wanted to know what you think about a team I think has huge collapse potential, and everybody in the fan base and media seemed to be in love with them, and that's the Cleveland Browns. I've been a Jags fan my whole life, but moved to Cleveland, just trying to get my head around that, lived in Jacksonville, moved to Cleveland. All right. And from whatever, and from what I saw, every Browns fan, and I saw every Browns game this past season, with my wife's family. I watched this team eke out some very close wins against some of the worst teams in the league, including the Texans, Jaguars, Eagles, Bengals twice, and the backup squad Steelers in Week 17, not to mention a loss to the Jets that nearly took them out of the playoffs. If they hadn't gotten the self-destructing Steelers in the wildcard game and the Chad Henney to come in to keep the divisional round game with the Chiefs close, situation, I think fans may have had a different feeling about how that season went and what kind of team they have in Cleveland. They remind me a bit of the 2017 Jaguars that broke my heart in the AFC title game. That team was only 10-6 and and stole a lot of games that year, but had a nice playoff run and the obvious defensive talent. They made people think the team was suddenly something it never was. It had reached about its maximum potential that year, playing a pretty easy schedule, and it didn't take long for them to come crashing down to what you'd expect of a team with Blake Bortles as their quarterback. I'm not saying Baker Mayfield is as bad as Bortles, but I wasn't impressed with them overall, and I can't think of a team that makes up for a bad quarterback play with a strong running game and a good pass rush having to having sustained success in the modern NFL. Well, that's true. They had a great running game in Cleveland. best, Second best in the league. And they had a great defense and a great pass rush. It only went so far. I think the fact that the Browns are so likable for so many people makes it hard and unpopular to see the red flags that this team may come crashing down to earth this season. Just my opinion, but I would love to know what you think of where that team is. Sincerely, Connor in Cleveland, Ohio. Connor, you, my friend, nailed it. And it's a very good point. That's exactly the shape of the team that Cleveland was. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, it's Mr. X time. Hello, Mr. X. How are we doing tonight? You know, I uh, I talked to Sheehan, your boy, earlier this week. I even talked to Cooley, who is wow. Sheehan's boy, uh, off air. Today, he called me out of the blue. He's doing well. Says hello to everyone. 
I said we miss him back here, but I have not yet sussed out your stance on the great Charger Raider end of game situation. And you being a man who has put a few shekels on games that have turned on questionable decisions, I'm sure has some thoughts on it. Did Brandon Staley screw the pooch by calling a timeout at the end of that game? Hell no. <laughs> Thank oh. you. Thank well, as a matter you. of fact, Zabe, I was, I, was, I was actually driving today a little bit, and I actually heard your conversation with Sheehan. He broke it down almost perfectly. He was dead on, but there's one thing that I don't think anybody has addressed, which is small, but hey, we're dissecting it, right? Sure, sure. And that is this. I've seen this so many times when coaches, of course, get it wrong. He said, Sheehan gets an A- minus when it comes to clock and game management. He's right at the top of the class. But when you are, let's just say you're near the end of a half, because that's where it often happens. And like, on, you know, let's say you're on a plus 40, 42, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. And you don't convert on third down. And what happens is a defensive team, if they don't call, if they call timeout, people say, what are you doing? You don't have time to score. The reason you call time at like 15 seconds is to make them punt, go in the end zone, go to the half. If you don't do that, the offense can run it down to two and have a last play, Hail Mary, goal, a freebie with no downside. So when I was watching that last drive unfold and pulling like crazy for the tie, just for comic relief, plus an anti-pit feeling, I was thinking to myself, do not give Carlson a 60-yard walk-off. Right. Don't let him have that because right. they might try it. Well, he could so make Carlson, a 60-yard walk-off. He's he got could. The leg. And unless you want to say, oh, it could get blocked for a touchdown. But the point yeah, is, that with, 10, with 10 or 12 seconds left, you can't make that kick because when you miss in that right, NFL, they right. get the ball at the 50, they score, you go home and go, what did we do? Right. So the reason the Chargers have to call the timeout is to not to score and win, but to force the punt and no. not allow a last play walk-off. I think that was part of the factor um, in it, but I think he copped out and just said, oh, we were in the wrong set because it was just easier to say that. Right. No, that's a very astute point, and uh, what what I thought the situation was, and this, what, this is what made it delicious because it's so rare, is that for once in an NFL game, there was a fog of ambiguity of intentions on both sides. Because sure. it was so unique in which a tie would be as good as a win for both teams. Yet they had already waged war with the intention to kill. And that surrender was not an option. So how can you suss out looking across that field at 53 and a third yards wide to the other coach and discern what is he really going to do? What are his true intentions? You don't know. And if you fall for it and go, okay, well, they're just going to let the time run out. They go, bang, timeout, two seconds. Carlson, 56. It was a 56-yarder, not a 60. Go ahead. Take a swing at a 50. Yeah, take a no. On no, if they'd gotten no yards on third and okay. uh, four, it was it was at the thirty nine, I believe. Right. So you had no right. idea there was a fog of ambiguity of intentions that led to a very rich and unusual situation that we'll probably never see again. I have said we need to abolish ties. Ties are a cancer on the the landscape in sports. They should exist nowhere in sports in any level. 
And yet some people say, sure. like you did, you were rooting for the tie because of chaos. Well, only because of I the, hate ties. I wanted it to sit home, and okay. it would have been hilarious. And maybe we get rid of the ties if that is. Possibly so. Well, Possibly so. It, the by the way, it also, yeah. it also boils down to what they call, you know, this is what my family was noticing. It's called the prisoner's dilemma, you know. Yes. You, Explain <laughs> that for it, those who don't know. Well, the theory is, you know, if we both agree, we, you know, and don't and don't confess – we, we're okay. But if I confess and throw you under the bus, you know, I, I get a, I get a deal, a plea bargain and you go away for life. So we both benefit by, uh, collaborating, but we but don't we also both but we, benefit by cheating. <laughs> right. But, but, but we don't know who will be the one to be traded. So you don't other. know. Yeah. Yes. Right. And my boys are well aware of that. The old, I'm not going to tell that. Are you going to tell that? I'm not going to tell that. And then it's like, you know, you just, but wait a minute. If I tell dad you did it, then I'm off scot-free. That's what the children, when you say, when everybody was like, oh, what if they just agree to tie? And I looked at my at X4 and I said, you think they're going to believe each other? I mean, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Prisoner's Dilemma. Prisoner's Dilemma. That's called high school growing up X yeah. in the household. That's, that was yeah, every day. True pretty close but also how about i mean the steelers and the ravens was the exact opposite a tie eliminated them both right tie so was that bad for was both. going into like we can't tie we can't tie no we we can't tie no we can't tie and uh and then then you know it ends up the steelers win a game they would have never normally won when they go on fourth and nine from the 50 mm-hmm. because a tie is a season ender yeah, it, it was uh, it was an amazing set of circumstances that you had three games that went to overtime and flirted with a tie thanks to these yep. Fakakta new rules and the ridiculous shortening of overtime to 10 minutes. And all three games had significant impact of a tie because the tie helped nobody in Pittsburgh, Baltimore. A tie would have helped both teams in the Rams and the Niners, right? Yeah. No, it would have put the Niners in, but the Rams would have lost the division. Well, you're right. Okay, it would have half helped. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't have been fatal to the Rams, but right. it would have helped the Niners. Uh, uh, for the Niners, a tie was as good as a win for them. And then a tie was essentially the same as a win for both teams and the Raiders and the Chargers, except you know the Raiders got to avoid the Chiefs for a third time because they've had their number pretty good. Well, and of course, what this is, you know, guys like me who sit there a couple weeks out and I think last week we might have touched on the show. You know, I have my little chart. I know who beats who. We go, everyone, what seed? And then somebody goes, what about a tie? And you're like, ah, screw the tie. It ain't going to happen. Wait, wait, wait. Give me uh, the seed yeah. again. <laughs> By the way, you'll hear this when you listen to the episode. A Steeler fan pointed out that he remembers your preseason prediction. And you said the Steelers under was one of your freebies because you said, yeah. look at their non-con strength of schedule opponents. It was Tennessee, Buffalo, and I forget the third, and you're like, they're all hard games, probably too much. They won all three. Chiefs. Chiefs. Yeah. <laughs> they won all yeah. three. No. Well, but Zabe, since you brought that up, wait, that is no, wait. Exactly I don't correct. think it was the Chiefs. They lost to the Chiefs this year. They played all, yeah. Oh, no, no, but they played but, all the ones. Right. But there was a third one that this guy said. Yeah. Um, they played with an NFC team. Yeah. Um, I can't remember which one. Tampa. Won. Possibly. I'll look at uh, No. Was it the um, West? On. I don't remember the third one. I'll get it for you right now. Go ahead. Your rebuttal, though. It wasn't Green Bay, so and it wasn't the Wolf, so it had to have been either Tampa. No, wait. It was this. How about the Saints? They won the division last year. Did they play the Saints? Tampa uh, was the wild card. No, this would be the Bills, Seahawks, Seahawks, Bills, Bills, Seahawks, and Titans. And Seahawks. Yes. Yeah, you forget Saints and, and Seahawks were division yeah. champs. And, and I said, I said to uh, to this listener, I go, well, his logic wasn't flawed. It just didn't work out. 
Oh, yeah. Well, Zabe, I'm sorry, since you brought it up. What do you think my VIPs got? Um, and somebody said, you got to send this to Zabe. And I said, he would pit delete so fast if oh, I sent him this. Why? My VIPs. Yes, Pitt was a top play. And it came down to the last game. What do you think we all did in that game? Hedge. We all took Baltimore. I mean, excuse me. We took Pitt plus four and a half looking for a middle to get out of it. Yeah, I hear you on that. Yeah. If So we, we all played, laid that off. And, and and by the way, in overtime, we damn near hit the middle if it wasn't for that fourth and version. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, so there you go. All right, we got a lot to get to yes. here uh, at the end of the year here. And uh, why right. don't we, before we get to our picks and our playoff picks, uh, okay. Joe Judge, a late firing in the week. How, I, the theory is amongst me and my colleagues is that if Flores had not been fired, Judge would have been allowed to stick around. But they just decided this looks too bad for us. We've got to fire him. I don't think that's crazy. Um I can see that. I, I think the normal thing is when you sign these guys and you eat the money, two years is no time to turn a franchise around. And two years really? and you're only, only – well, you know, you can, but no coach in the world says, give me the job, I can turn around in two years. Why do you think they always ask for four and five? So is it going the right direction? Hell no. Will it ever? No way. But I was a little surprised they pulled the plug that quick. But it's obviously the right move. Sometimes you get into the case of like, okay, it's not fair to fire you early, but we know it's going to happen anyway. Let's just do it. Yeah. Well, it's funny how these owners are just – they're bound to the atmospherics. They're bound to the public perception, headlines, talk radio. It's almost like these owners look around and they kind of sheepishly go, well, how bad is it? And if it's not bad enough, they might want to keep a guy if they think the guy can turn it around. I do think that it's counterproductive to fire a guy after two years. Well, Zabe, I, I always Generally have speaking. You're right, but I have a different view of this. In fact, this is one of those lessons I, I go over and over with kids. Okay, whether it's signing a free agent or hiring a head coach or whatever, if I'm in charge and you're the owner, I have to walk into my office and say to you, Zabe, I want to go with this guy, Joe Judge. And if in a year or two I have to walk in the office and go, you know, we're going to eat all that money, it doesn't look good for me. Right. So that's why you're sometimes patient because not being patient is admitting you screwed up. Yeah. So there's job security up and down the line. And and in the Miami case, yeah, you know, we all look football. The one this is what I meant to say I talked to my kids about is every one of us has a boss. And it's not always the part everyone else sees. You can't be an asshole and have a bad relationship with your boss and go, well, but we went nine and seven. If they don't like you. Well, that's apparently the case. Yeah, that's apparently the case with Flores in Miami is that he has struggled with the GM. But the other thing about coaches is um, it's just like drafting guys. You, You don't know until you get them in as to whether they'll sink or swim in a very competitive league. And so these coaches come in. And, of course, they're going to tell you all the things you want to hear in the interview process. And they, they've they been coached up by their consultants on how to mm-hmm. sound in the interview process. And Joe Judge won the interview process because he sounded all tough. And, by the way, he's got the Belichick tree backing, which has turned out to be one of the worst coaching trees in the history of coaching trees, which yeah. is shocking. 
Um, and uh, and and then once he got the job, he turned into a megalomaniacal asshole. So, which is part of the hoodie's genius that he doesn't even teach guys how to succeed and beat him. <laughs> Unlike the, the Bill Walsh tree that's loaded, Belichick isn't even a tree. I mean, it's a little tiny bush in the garden. He doesn't produce any. Someone, someone assistance. I think. I think a lot of coaches under Belichick they take the wrong lessons out of who Belichick is and how he does it, and they overstate the ability to do the same thing without Tom Brady. Well, Belichick's still the best defensive coach in my lifetime, and he was the architect behind all those giant teams that you know beat Buffalo in the Super Bowl and all that. He he still is as good a defensive game planner as I think there's ever been in the league. Right. But well, we'll see. Okay. Um, how did your teams with nothing to play for theory work out? Well, if you look at the ones where nothing to play, not versus another nothing to play. Yeah, they went seven and three this week. Like I said, don't do the go against them because they quit. They don't quit. Five of those seven won their games outright in upsets. So if you followed that, it was an easy week for you. And no, I didn't come close to following my own advice. So no, I always say I'm a better that conviction, huh? Yeah, I'm always I'm a better teacher than student. Is the is the Colts loss the one of the worst regular season losses ever? I can't think of a worse one. Um, my son asked me that, and I thought, you know, the, strangely enough, the Colts Super Bowl to the Jets is probably still the worst loss ever, 19-point favorite in a Super Bowl. Um, but as far as regular season, I got nothing that comes close to that. Well, you've got it in your notes here, and so, I agree. Week 17, Redskins-Giants, Kirk Cousins – Skins win and they're in the playoffs. Giants are completely out of it. They got nothing to play for. And the Skins are trailing late. Kirk is driving and throws a terrible pick. First down pick from the 10. First down pick ends the game. And I'm there in the stands with my boy, one account Rhodes. I was in the suite, in the uh, 980 suite. And he was there with his boys and the whole stadium was deflated. And we were just crushed. And I turned to him. Knowing the way the Kirk narrative was going, I said, Johnny, this is going to set off a string of very negative events over the course of the next two years. And damn if I wasn't right. That interception fucked everything up. That's a good one. I'd forgotten that one. By the way, those aren't my notes. Those must be your notes. I'd forgotten that one. It says maybe woofed. You said worst regular season loss ever. Oh, maybe oh, no, no, no. I was saying in the playoffs, it was the Colts to the Jets. The only other one I could think of was the Wolf losing in the title game, seventy-three to nothing. Well, that wasn't uh, the Wolf. That was the Redskins. The Redskins. So fine. Call them the Redskins. By the way, do you care Commanders or Admirals? I. You know I. I no. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even think why I care because the bottom line is I have no expectation that it's not going to be stupid. Sheehan doesn't care. Vehemently doesn't care. Andy doesn't care. You don't care. I'm already a Packer fan. I'm gone, so I don't care. The only guy who knows who cares is my boy one account, and he says to me at a text, he hates it. He hates Commanders. Well, he thinks it's the biggest. Commanders are stupid. Well, that, that, that's apparently what it's going to be. Well, um, but, you know, everybody, yeah. everybody, these days, every time they have to change the logos, the this, you know, I, I like the G on the helmet. I like the B 
bear's helmet. Nobody will do simple anymore. You have to hire some PR firm that's going to go, oh, look how smart we are. Well, the travesty of travesties is the Rams. The Rams had simple. It had iconic, and then it got way over-fancified. The numbers are ridiculous on those jerseys. The bone white, uh, looks like dirty white uniforms are a complete joke. But you're right. That's what they do. They get their fingers in there, and they muck it all up. Yeah, it's like the Nike swoosh. Here it is. Really? Is that all you got? Well, it worked. <laughs> right. Exactly. Imagine if somebody said, we got to update the swoosh. And you're like, why? Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows it. It's simple. It's like Because uh, if we turn that in, it looks like we really didn't spend any time on our homework and we can't charge a lot of money. We have to come yeah. up with something hard to justify what they're paying us. A uh, classic weekend of Romo, Aikman, and Collinsworth. Do tell. You know, watching the games this weekend, we all know how bad Aikman is, and that's fine. But I even found myself that that was the best game to watch for, you know, plus was the Niners and not, not yeah Niners Rams. And I partway through, I was like, why do I have the volume on the Tampa Carolina game? Cause I was Romo. And then I switched over and I was like, Oh yeah, that's why I switched back. Cause I couldn't handle Aikman. But for example, what can you not handle most about Aikman? I want to hear. Well, first and foremost, Okay, nice enough guy. You bring zero. I might as well let my wife talk in my ear. Thank you. You bring nothing to the table. You don't sell me this. It is the absolute emptiness, the non-nutritive value of every one of his utterances, and he does it so inefficiently, prattling and rambling through the entirety of the space between Joe Buck's call and the next play. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes a guy says some analysis, and you're like, yeah, I knew that. That's fine. And sometimes you go, huh, I didn't see that. He doesn't ever make me think that he's even trying. <laughs> it's just like he's standing there going, you know, I mean, he might still be play-by-play at second and ten. He narrates, he narrates replays. That's what he does. He doesn't analyze. Yeah. He narrates a replay okay. saying, yeah. good job for good whatever job. guy did By something. By everybody on the field yeah. on that play. <laughs> Rarely does he say bad job or rarely does he say that's the safety's fault or rarely does he say I wouldn't have blitzed there because Brady eats up the blitz on third and long. And, and, you know, Romo, he's good, but he gets all this credit because he likes to say what's going to happen before it happens. And he's good. But darn it, Collinsworth is excellent. He is. He, he just, he, like when, okay, simple stuff. Sometimes the easiest stuff. When he started talking late in that Charger game about how gassed the Chargers were, I mean, it didn't cross my mind because everyone's busy playing Xbox. And he, you know, he, he picked up on that, like, you know, how late they were getting back to the huddle. And everyone knows that, like, on that last drive, what Herbert threw 13 incompletions on 20 plays. And, Yet the receivers are running deep patterns every play. Mm-hmm. But what folks didn't realize is right before that 20-play drive, which took like an hour and a half, yeah. the Raiders went three and out. And the drive right before that, they ran like 13 straight passes. So they ran like 33 straight passes with like a minute in between. Yeah, 33 to four. The play count was 33 okay. to four. Count the punt. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And, the, and, and look, that's not hard to tell me that they're tired, but I wasn't thinking about it. And when he said it, I was like, oh yeah, good point. Would Troy Aikman have said that? No, Never. No. It's just, I mean, what I'm getting at is I don't need a genius. I think, Collinsworth, I think Collinsworth is better than Romo. I, I think Romo's shine yes. has worn off and his act yes. has to evolve. And this is something Brent Musburger 
warned everyone about when Romo was at his most swooning peak of media adoration. And, you know, Brent came off as a bit of a grump when he said it, but he was right. And this is where Romo's going to have to step up his game. But Collinsworth is excellent. Aikman is worthless. Um, There's some other good analysts out there, but, you know, the big three, that's my ranking. Well, most all day Saturday, they're okay. They're not zeros like Aikman. The difference with Romo is it seems like almost everything he does is from a quarterback's view. Reading the defense, what should you do here? Well, I know he's a quarterback, but there's more parts of the game, whereas Collinsworth sees the whole field. True. True. He sees both sides. Okay. Let's recap our 2021 NFL season, but first – the bill is due for last week. My three picks went one and two, and my lock was a loser. I took the Giants plus seven against the Wolf. That was yeah. a huge mistake. <laughs> How'd that one feel? I t- <laughs> stupid. Couple more quarterback sneaks. They had a so shot at So stupid. Uh, Dolphins plus six and a half against the Patriots. That was a winner, but only because they got out to a big lead early and held on for dear life. And Still then counts. the Ravens minus five and a half against Pittsburgh. I thought Pittsburgh would be flat as a pancake. They weren't. Then again, the Ravens offense with uh, Huntley is just not very good. And I lost that one. So there you go. One and two to finish. And my lock was a loser. Well, the Steelers, uh, the Steelers getting out gained and can't move the ball all day and winning at the end is something they've done like five times this year. It's crazy. Yeah. So that puts you at ten and eight on the locks, which doesn't is fifty six percent. Not nothing good. But Bare, barely, that barely. Three and but, six start. Yeah. Go ahead. It's better. There you go. Three and six start. So you had a good comeback at the end. So fifty six percent is technically winning money with the vig. Correct. There it is. That is correct. Technically is winning correct. money. And my overall picks turned 28, out. 25, and 1, 53%. Which so is at least dead break even. Break even. Flipping yeah. coin. But you know what? I know a lot of guys that don't mind breaking even. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How did For you me, do last week, and how is your season total? I missed my lock with the Patriots. I went against you on that one. Um, so that I would finish 10-7-1 on my locks a half game ahead of you. Um, Son of a bitch. <laughs> and what were your other two picks? The other two, I missed the Bears by a, a mile and a half, and I got the Niners in the outright upset. So my overalls finished 32-20, and 20, 62%. That's really good. I'll take that. And when you say finish even, i got to tell you quick, I got a note from uh, one of my uh, big customers this week, and it said, I'm reading this, Thanks for a great plus year. But to be honest, I never really expect to win. The reason I started following you is because I hated losing, and I just don't want to lose. That's all I want is to break even. Oh, my God. That's funny. Uh, 32 and 20 is outstanding, especially on this podcast, and I assume that those who subscribe to you at callmemrx.com uh, probably did better, at least on the pros. Your college season was legendarily bad, but then again, uh, the smart people started fading you anyway about week eight. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they didn't in the bowls. We went seven okay and one in the bowls. bowls. Okay. Seven and one. So it was a good finish. And we did well in the but my college was legendary horrible. There's no question. I was a smidge over forty percent. But my pros hit sixty, so it was about the same. Okay. Um, you, and you you know, Mr. X shows his work with his mentor Dano oh yeah. every week. And so you're going to get the thought behind the picks. 
And we all know if this was easy, we'd all be millionaires and they would stop allowing gambling on sports because <laughs> everyone would have figured it out. That's why we do it. Okay, on to the playoffs. First all of right. all, last week, final week of the season, how did public, anti-public, over-unders, favorites go? Good question. I just closed that file. One second. Okay. I was thinking we're done with that. It's Sorry coming back. That. By okay, the way, that's you right. also had Georgia, you had Georgia, I was told, in the championship game. Oh, yes. That so was did nice. I. So that was that good. Was nice. You and I were right on that one. Okay. Um, let's see. I'm going to tell you for the year. Okay. His favorites went six and 10. But what I do is a lot of people look at one loss record and they don't factor in juice, which, as you know, is the killer. So the favorites on the year hit 48%. Um, but if you bet every favorite this year, you lose four units. If you bet, excuse me, every dog, you lose four units. Every favorite, you lose 23. Um, so, you know, it, that's not as easy as picking favorites or, or dogs. It, you do have to kind of work a little hard on that. The home teams didn't do much better. They ended up 132 and 137, 49%. But the overs were where it stunk. Even though they finished strong this week at 11-5, and five, nobody seemed to care enough to play defense this week. But for the year, they hit 46%, which makes the only winning play on that board the unders, which would put you up almost 12 minutes for the year. But nobody enjoys that, as yeah. you know. Yeah. So, so historically, was there anything uh, as an outlier, favorites, not favorites? By the way, how did home field do? This year, yeah, home was home was bad. They 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 rallied the last two or three weeks to get to forty nine percent. And what is a typical NFL home field number? Straight 50. up, no, I don't know. Oh, you don't know that? Okay, but it's probably not much over fifty. Okay, because someone was no. arguing with me about home field doesn't matter anymore. Well, it hasn't the last two years. That's for darn sure. Well, COVID yeah. wiped that out, obviously, with no fans. Correct. I believe it was healing this year, but it's not fully back. I said to this person, I go, look, I don't care what the season-long numbers are. If you don't think being at home for the playoffs is an advantage, you're crazy. It is. It gives you advantages, and it most gives you advantages with one or two calls per game you don't get on the road. That's been proven by the guys at scorecasting. That's 100% correct. I've said for years that it's not traveling in your own bed. No, it's called referee intimidation in every sport, mostly basketball. But how about this? Okay, last year we wrote it off because there was no crowd to intimidate the ref. This year, the refs are just getting overruled every play by the eye in the sky. (laughs) So where's the, you know, okay, maybe there's a little bit, but the big plays that, that you would get intimidated from a home crowd, they're just going, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. Okay, the ruling on the field is, and it's like, there's, you know, you see these plays where they all say out of bounds, then they huddle, and you can tell they're just standing there chit-chatting while somebody's talking in their ear, and then they go, well, actually, the ruling on the field was completed pass. And you're like, no, it wasn't. No, it yeah. wasn't. So I don't know if it's got that same sort of yeah. impact that it used to have. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see. Um, you like the format Saturday, Sunday, Monday. I, 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 I don't understand how the NFL can justify giving two teams a Monday night game. It's patently unfair, in my well, opinion. Okay, but let me ask every, as long as I can remember, you've played Saturday, Sunday, which means one team gets less rest. Now you go Sunday, Monday, one team gets less yeah, rest. Yeah, it makes it worse. Is that but different? It, no, it makes it worse. 
because well, now there's a two-day spread. Well, not if they don't match up. Well, it depends. Well, let's see how they manage next weekend's matchups by day. Exactly. If, if the if the Saturday Mondays matched up, you're exactly right. But what I'm saying is Sunday Monday isn't much different than Saturday Sunday. I mean, they've got to try to keep the Saturday winners on right. Saturday the following week, but that would mean putting their two one seeds on Saturday. And I know right. the NFL does not want to do that. Well, they always want to keep it fair, just like when the Raiders finished at one in the morning and they give them the very first yeah. game the yeah, following right. week. Right, keep it fair. Like when uh, like when Hurricane Tr- Katrina gave the Giants a ninth home game, but they painted Saints in the end zone and called it a home game. Bullshit. There you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right, let's, uh, let's go. Uh, in the past... What have yes. we done in the playoffs on this podcast, okay. picking games? Well, to be honest, this is where it gets turned up because I've always said the playoffs are way, way harder than the regular season. You don't find, you know, big old blocks. It's far sloppy lines. They're more right. fine. But the first year you and I did this show, we talked and talked about how hard the playoffs were, and you went eight and three, and I went nine and two. <laughs> and <laughs> we we, we scorched the shit out of it. Yes, we did. <laughs> and then the second year we did this, I dropped to eight and three, and you went seven and four. So it was like, <laughs> you know, so much of this playoffs are hard stuff. Right. And I honestly listened to last year's shows today because I couldn't find the records. Uh, you went six, six, and one last year. So you finally I'm fell down. To yes. Earth. Yeah, I only picked some of the games on your show. I went like five and two. Okay. Um, I think we need all. to get back to picking them all then. But by so. the way, one, one thing, the reason I can't pick them all. Um, and you're the point gonna, is you're going to have to. Okay. The reason a lot of people think it's that, oh, you don't want to give it out today because your subscribers give it. Well, that's part of it because oh, those guys deserve it. That's a good it. point. But, okay. the biggest, but the biggest thing behind it is, say, if I give out um, Buffalo today, and by Saturday, I'm giving my guys New England. I look like Doc Walker or somebody who like is trying to pick both sides. Right. Now, you say, why would I do that? Because I don't play until I've watched every game from last weekend. I watch every game. And by Wednesday afternoon when we're recording, I have not watched them all. Uh, so there's also, there's also possible weather. Well, things can happen, but I will change my own opinion. You're right. Weather and injuries. There's a snowstorm coming this weekend to the east. But most of it is I I may be leaning one way today. And then when I watch two games on Thursday and Friday, I'm like, oh, no, I was wrong. You know, so that's the biggest reason I changed. Of course, the only weather game would be Buffalo because there's no other venue on the east that would possibly in the wake of the snowstorm. So. Look, and who cares? Way. Buffalo, okay. New England in the snow. It seems right. like it ought to be that. I got three yeah. picks I feel really solid about, and I've right. got a lock. So let me know uh, if that's okay. going to be good enough for you. Sure. Okay. All right. Here we go. Pick number one, Tampa Bay minus eight and a half over Philly. This game looks just like last year in that Philly comes in doop, 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 as the weak sister from the NFC East. They didn't win the division like the Redskins did last year or the Wolf did last year. They're a wild card, but they are the weakest team by far in this tournament. Now, last year, the Wolf was a weak team, and they took Brady with, with Taylor Heineke right to the brink. So is Philly capable of doing that? Can history repeat? I say the answer is no. Not only is Tampa not on the road like they were last year, they're at home, there's fans, they won't get caught flat this time. Philly sucks, Tampa minus 8.5, they swamp them in the second half and win by 17, 18 points. Pick number two, 
my upset special, San Fran plus the three against Dallas. I am points plus money line on this one. I'm getting it two ways. San Fran has grit and explosiveness. I lost a lot on them earlier this year, as you know, Mr. X, and then said, I can't take San Francisco. I'm back, baby. I'm a believer now. They fought through a bunch of injuries. They are nasty defensively on the edge with Bosa. Uh, They shot up Jimmy Garoppolo's thumb last week at halftime, and he looked great in that comeback. And they've got speed and explosiveness. Dallas cannot run the football when they have to run the football in tight playoff games. They are a loosey-goosey, front-running, throw-it-around team, and Mike McCarthy will fuck something up. This, I think, is the best game of the weekend, and I got the Niners in an upset. The brackets get shuffled. Give me San Fran plus the three and a little bit more San Fran money line. Now to my lock of the week. I feel like such a square for saying this. Kansas City minus 12 and a half against Pittsburgh. Biggest number on the board. What am I, chasing my Pittsburgh loss from last week? Is this me trying to catch up and go, God damn you, Pittsburgh, I'm going to get you this week? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. I think it's a cold shower special. Steelers get to go from a warm bath which was a very limited Tyler Huntley in the Ravens offense, to an ice-cold shower, which is a white-hot Chiefs team that's rolling, rolling, rolling with Patrick Mahomes. It may not be as bad as Marino's last-ever game, but i am got a feeling Big Ben's last-ever game is going to be an ugly one. Chiefs in an annihilation, minus the 12.5. By the way, you remember Marino's last game as a Dolphin, as an NFL player? Uh, yeah, well, didn't they lose to Jacksonville like sixty-three to seven? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so sad to go out like that. Yeah. So there's my picks right there. Bing, bang, boom. Tampa minus eight and a half. San Fran plus the three upset special with a little dollop of money line on top of it, and then Kansas City minus twelve and a half. Your picks on this podcast a day early, by the way. For entertainment purposes only, go to callmemrx.com for his actual picks on Saturday morning early before the first game start. What do you got? A day earlier than the early picks on Thursday. It's right. super early, yes. Well, I got I, to I rethink all this because I have the same three. No! <laughs> I really no! do. I, I think you're dead on on all three of those, so I'm going to have to go check my homework. Now, seriously, I think all three of your ones are dead on. I think... I th- you don't like laying a big number in the playoffs, but we're talking about the Eagles and Steelers who really, you know, I mean, they, they, they're just so happy to be here. I don't think they have anything. Philly didn't beat a, a good team all year, and they faced four backup quarterbacks. Did they really? Um, four backups? Yeah. Oof. Yeah. So, and Pittsburgh, we know, I mean, you know, I was going to say you stole my thunder. I was going to predict that, uh, Roethlisberger was going to go out like Marino, except I got now I see my note. He went down sixty-two-seven, so I'm taking case sixty-three-seven, so that he can trump Marino's finale. And that wow. was sad because Marino, you know, had a good year and took a really bad Dolphin team into the playoffs, and the fourteen and two Jags just it was a bad. All right, well, look in a rare circumstance, you and I are hang die. Do you want to make a different lock than me of your three though? Was your lock KC? Yes, it was. Um, okay, I'll go anti Philly. Okay, Tampa's your I'll lock minus eight and a half. Okay, yeah. all right. Well, we're Thelma and Louise on this one. A rare double up. All three games picking out of the uh, six that'll go down this weekend. Six, 
Six games? Six. Yeah, I can see now the memes will be coming. Everyone's going to be throwing us life jackets. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Very good. Uh, CallMeMrX.com is the website, as always. Only bet what you can afford to win, and winning is nice, but getting paid is nicer. We'll see you next week. Okay. See you, bud. All right. We'll end on this. Jane, you ignorant slut. That's a famous line from an SNL skit back in the late 70s involving Dan Aykroyd and the late Jane Curtin. I think Jane Curtin has now passed away. Anyhow, uh, it was a point-counterpoint segment on the news, supposed to be a legitimate debate between two opposing viewpoints about something in politics or popular culture or whatever. For those that don't remember, here's how it went. I'm uh, station manager Dan Aykroyd. Um, During the past few weeks in Los Angeles, actor Lee Marvin and his former live-in companion Michelle Triola Marvin have been in court to settle her claim that he owes her half his income from the six years they lived together. That is the subject of tonight's point-counterpoint. Jane will take the pro-Michelle Marvin point while I take the anti-Michelle Triola counterpoint. Jane? Dan, times change and so does the nature of relationships. People are reluctant to get married these days, and looking at divorce statistics, who can blame them? But the lack of a piece of paper does not necessarily mean the lack of a total commitment. A woman in this modern-day relationship may well give up all her own personal pursuits, as Michelle Marvin claims she did, to give her full support to her man's career. And Michelle Marvin is just asking that the courts recognize that reality. Dan, there's an old saying, behind every successful man, there's a woman, a loving, giving, caring woman. But you wouldn't know about that, Dan, because there's no old saying about what's behind a miserable failure. (laughs) Spicy. Jane, you ignorant slut. By the way, it gets better from here. I just we're a minute in. There's a minute left. Let's just listen to the whole thing. You, you're not going anywhere, are you? Okay, good. Here we go. Bagged out, dried up, slunk meat like you and Michelle Triola know the rules. If you want a contract, sign on the dotted line. Oh, but let's all shed a tear for poor Michelle Triola. There was only testimony that she had sexual intercourse over 40 times with another man while living with actor Lee Marvin. But I suppose that sort of fashionable promiscuity means nothing to someone like you, Jane, who hops from bed to bed with the frequency of a cheap ham radio. <laughs> But hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, and Michelle Triola, like a screeching, squealing, rapacious swamp sow, is after actor Lee Marvin's last $3 million. I guess what you and Michelle are saying is that when you're on your backs, the meter is running. Well, well, please spare us, gals, and tell us the rates at the top. Then we can choose which two-bit tarts and bargain basement sluts to shack up with. Oh, you know, it uh, takes my breath away to think about the brilliance of the writing and the fearlessness of the comedy and the fact that, you know, these uh, SNL would mine for comedy in places so far from just a very shallow, partisan, political well, which they do now. It's just amazing. <laughs> what, what does he say? You, uh, you, 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 hold on a second. Shush. There we go. Uh, slunk meat. Bagged out, dried up, slunk meat like you and Michelle. (laughs) Bagged out, dried up, slunk meat like you. (laughs) All right. So, Jane, you ignorant slut. Is slut making a comeback? Headline, psychologists debate whether to call patients sluts. Wait, what? What the hell did you just say? Oh, yeah. This is in Great Britain. The British Psychological Society 
has advised its 60,000 member therapists to use a patient's preferred term for themselves, even if it goes against their current guidelines, such as slut or dyke or any other reclaimed epithet, reclaimed, quote unquote, that some women are saying, you know what? That name don't hurt me. I call myself that. Proudly so. Some psychologists and beyond have criticized the new guidelines, while others point to its inerrant sexism. Australian psychotherapist Tanaya Marshall called the measure a, quote, mess, asking how the use of these demeaning terms could be viewed as therapeutically beneficial. Again, if the patient says, oh, no, I want you to call me that, isn't it now the way it works in the world that you accommodate them? Hell, people are saying, here are my pronouns. Please use them. If you want to be called a dyke or a slut because you find it empowering or that you reclaim these and it makes you feel better, who's the therapist to argue? I don't know. It's just an interesting twist. I just wonder if the phrase bagged out, dried up slunk meat is going to make a comeback. Jane, you ignorant slut. (laughs) Bagged out, dried up, slunk meat like you and Michelle Triana know the rules. All right, and with that, we will wrap it for today. Thank you so much for listening and downloading. Tomorrow, subscribers only on a Friday, a You Are Looking Live inside the new Zabecast Landjet in the driveway of one Scott Lynn. The old band is back together. The original first team on Fox, Zabe, Scott, and Solly. That plus a bunch of other stuff heading into the football weekend. I hope you subscribe, but if you don't, that's okay. Go to zabe.com slash premium to find out more. A mere five bucks a month, and if you buy a year in advance, then you get 12 months for the price of 11. Cancel any time, and I appreciate your support. Thanks for listening. Have a great Thursday, and we will see you next time.